Hi guys, and welcome to The Criminal Conversation, where we sit down and have a conversation about all things true crime. I am your host, Sarah, and this episode is the one where two leave and one returns. This is the heart-wrenching case of Gabby Petito that several of our listeners have requested, including Rachel, who submitted it on our Google form. So if you have a case who that you want to suggest that you want us to talk about here on the podcast, do not hesitate to submit it. It is on our Facebook page at the very top. And all you have to do is submit that, give us a few details, and we will add it to our very, very quickly growing list um, for the podcast. So thank you, Rachel, for submitting that. We really appreciate it. Um, This case um, really takes place in the U.S., and it was really dissected and followed by many social media platforms, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. You've seen it everywhere. As soon as there was a missing person report, it blew up up. Everyone started really dissecting each and every video that was posted from this couple. It was it was dissected by every post, every picture. Everything was gone across uh, with a fine-tooth comb. This is a case that really, really shook the U.S., and it shook a lot of people who have watched Gabby and Brian and their journey, and also, you know, friends and family. I mean, I couldn't even imagine how public this incident was for them and how much their child's life had to be dissected by the world and and that's got to be a hard thing to watch as a parent. So we will be diving straight into this. We're going to take it back a little bit and go over where this all started. Where why are people living out of vans and when did this become such a fad? So the hashtag van life has become a booming sensation across the U.S. since the pandemic bore down on us in 2020, and the increase of van purchases soared with individuals and families alike taking to documenting their journey to share on social media and the world, with over 13 million posts on Instagram alone. But van life has dated back as far as 1855, with a surge in the 1950s then again, making headlines in the 70s and 80s, with camper vans everywhere. Everyone was going on a van trip, everyone had a camper, and everyone was using them. But with social media added to the mix, it really took on a whole new life. We can sit and watch a transformation stage, then all the struggles with the beautiful stays and the journeys as they go along, with trickles of the ugly stuff that has been dealt with in between, like things breaking down, things going wrong and it really shows the reality of living in a van in all different aspects not just the pretty pictures that you've seen randomly but what happens when a heavily documented hashtag van life journey abruptly goes offline with no signs of why or what happened this is exactly what happened when gabby petito and brian laundry set off on a cross-country adventure in gabby's white van fully set up and equipped with all the necessary items needed to sleep, eat, and enjoy the beautiful countryside as they travel across the U.S. They left on their grand adventure from Blue Point, New York on July 2nd of 2021. Not in the 19s anymore, Sarah. Headed west with intentions of visiting state parks and national parks across the U.S. The couple document their journey for the world to see, posting on Instagram and YouTube as they made stops and visited beautiful destinations through Colorado and Utah. But as many of us know, social media relationships are rarely the same in reality. 
and Brian and Gabby's was no exception. By the time the pair made it to Moab, Utah, the first reported issue arose as a worried passerby called in to the local officials to report a domestic incident on August 12th. When police arrived, they separated the two to get a better picture of what was going on and to get each side of the story. By the time a unit catches up to them, Brian is speeding and seen hitting a curb. At that time, the officer pulled the van over to see what is going on. Gabby expresses that she was struggling with her mental health that day and goes on to tell officers that she was hitting and arguing with Brian. Brian goes on to explain she was getting out of control and was trying to distance herself from him at their last stop. He ended up locking her out of the van, pushing her, and threatening to leave her at the rest stop in Moab. The officers seem to do the best they can to defuse the situation, and talking to each of them to see the full story as best they can without making an arrest. Both seem to be very upset, but Brian, much less so, and Gabby is quite literally crying her eyes out. Brian's story differs from Gabby's in a few ways, but you can see he passes most of the blame onto Gabby, saying she was the aggressor, and with Gabby explaining that she was hitting Brian, it seemed to confirm his story, especially since Brian was left with scratch marks that were very visible across his face, arms, and even his rest of his body. But if you really listen to the bits and pieces of the story, it seems that Brian took the keys to Gabby's van, then tried to leave her at a coffee shop there at Moab. They were both yelling at each other, fighting and arguing, and he was really stressing the situation even more than it had to be. So after all of this, she continued to get more and more upset. He ultimately let her back into the van before leaving the coffee shop and they continue their fight in the van. He said that that he was recklessly driving because of the way she was behaving. She says that he was recklessly driving, so she started behaving that way. Either way, the situation got out of hand. They both were pulled over, and the police start to question each of them, trying to decipher between the both of them what the truth was. The officers were as professional and diffusing the situation as best they could at that time with the information that they had. They end up releasing both of them to return to their journey, but made them separate for the afternoon. They told them that it would be better if they got together the next day, and they gave each of them a place to stay. Gabby was allowed to return to her van, and Brian was set up at a nearby hotel. Either way, whoever the primary aggressor was, the situation was a domestic dispute. They were both arguing, they were both fighting, and one laid hands on the other person, and that is not okay. This was the first sign of things not going so well. They soon reconciled, they reunited, and they continued on their journey. Within a few short days, nine to be exact, On August 21st, Gabby's dad, Joseph Petito, FaceTimed his daughter. She was now back with Brian, and they were at Salt Lake City, Utah. She was last seen at a hotel in Salt Lake City, Utah on August 24th before her and Brian moved on to Grand Tatum National Park the next day. 
The following day, while they were there, she posted a short video with a shop owner out of Victor, Utah, and she also placed a call to her mom. This was the last communication she receives from Gabby. After that, she got an odd text message from Gabby's phone that she had no service in Yosemite. Then all goes quiet. No phone calls, no messages are responded to. Everything is silence. Then, by September 1st, Brian returns to his family's home in Florida with no sign of Gabby. Brian and his family go on a camping trip. They visit other family members, spend time together in the comfort of their home in Florida. While 11 excruciating days go by in New York, before Gabby's family ultimately report her missing and start the extensive search for their daughter. This is when details start to emerge and unravel with more questions than answers. So let's go over the timeline leading up to the report. There are details that emerged after the police begin their investigation, so we're going to go each of those. On August 27th, Gabby's van was videoed by another blogger staying at the same National Park campgrounds. Spread Creek Campgrounds on August 27th, around 6.30 p.m. According to the blogger couple, Red, White, and Bethunes, Jen and Kyle Bethune, they have two GoPros videoing the road ahead and one that faces the driver, which is usually Kyle. The couple noticed a few things immediately about the van, including the Florida tags, because they too are Florida natives, and were excited to see other travelers from their home state. The van was darkened and looked as if they were either sleeping or out of the van. The couple only stayed one night and moved on to another area, not thinking twice about the very short encounter with a white van until a few days later, when a friend tagged them on a social media post asking for information from anyone staying at the park on August 27th. Jen immediately combed over their footage and found the now infamous white van footage. Jen called the FBI, very shaken, and reported the video. They asked that she submit the video online, which is a usual protocol for them. They have a place where you can submit tips and information on their website, especially with ongoing cases. So a lot of times, tips and information will go into the FBI or into a local law enforcement agency, and they want to make sure that every little piece of evidence gets combed over and that every little piece of evidence gets reported. And so that's the best way to do that is submitting it online. They usually have plenty of ways to track down the person submitting it and the information and use it as evidence in court. So after they were submitted their evidence and they confirmed of where the couple were at that time. Two days later, on August 29th, a Wisconsin TikToker Miranda Baker and her boyfriend reportedly were approached by who was later believed to be Brian Laundrie, asking for a ride at approximately 5.30 that afternoon. They did think, they didn't think much of it until the floods of news coverage and pictures of Brian that hit social media and news headlines across the country. The following day is when Gabby's mom received that last text message from her daughter's phone. They later believed to be Brian, saying that she had no service in Yosemite. On September 1st, Brian returns home to Florida to his parents' home with absolutely no sign of Gabby. Within a few days, he was purchasing a new cell phone. Him and his family go enjoy a camping trip together. 
So the focus to find Gabby is centered around their last known location together at Grain Tatum National Park. The Laundries almost immediately have a lawyer representing them and going through their attorney for all aspects of this investigation. All reports, all news coverage, releases, and information goes directly through their lawyer, which I find to be odd, but it is much safer for the Laundry family that they do this and is actually advised by most attorneys and law enforcement agents to get a lawyer as soon as something bad happens so that you are properly represented from the beginning. But this really makes them look guilty like they know something they are not talking about. Police immediately want to speak to Brian, obviously, about where his girlfriend went when he last seen her because this national park is 501 plus square miles. That is a very large area to start searching, especially when they really don't know where all they were or where all they stayed. And getting that information directly from Brian would really help this investigation. The police take Gabby's family very seriously and immediately go to work in Florida impounding Gabby's van on the 11th of September. By the 12th, rangers are searching the park for Gabby. So they did not waste absolutely any time or any spare minutes in the search for Gabby and with getting on top of the search for Brian as well to start gathering evidence. Brian Laundrie issues a statement to the police via his lawyer and is last seen with a burner phone him and his mother purchased the day prior and entering Carlson Reserve on foot with a backpack of supplies in Florida on September 14th. This is very odd to me. Why would you and your mom go to anywhere and buy a burner phone when you've just purchased a phone after returning to Florida on September 1st? So this is, not only is it very odd, but it seems like mom knows what's up and mom is helping him make his escape on foot with this backpack of supplies. On September 15th, Brian is officially the prime suspect of Gabby's disappearance for quite a few obvious reasons. Within the next few days, more details emerge and more statements are released from the laundry's attorney. But no matter the extent of their efforts, it was too late for the social media vlogger, and Gabby Petito's body is found in the park where her and Brian had last been seen on the 19th of September. The coroner quickly ruled Gabby's death a homicide. They did not release the exact death cause until much later, but it was by strangulation. Now that Brian was in the wind and the FBI, Florida, Wyoming, and New York law enforcement turned their attention to the apprehension of Brian Laundrie. The FBI and Northport police send very large search parties into the swamps of Florida where he was last seen to track him down. A few days into the search, people everywhere were watching, waiting, and combing over the case on every platform imaginable. Even Dog the Bounty Hunter joined the search to find Brian, and by the 21st of September, an arrest warrant was issued for Brian. This really helps them track down Brian because they discovered he was using Gabby's debit card after her death and that he had withdrawn over $100 in debit card usages after she had already been deceased. 
So they used that as their reference point to put out a warrant for his arrest. But as officers combed and recombed the area previously covered in swamp and water, after 32 days of searching, they finally found partial human remains that were later identified as Brian Lundry on October 21, 2021. Alongside his body, they found a backpack and a notebook, both belonging to him as well. His cause of death was later ruled a suicide due to a self-inflicted bullet hole to his head. The months-long case was drawing to a close as the FBI revealed that Brian wrote out a full confession in this notebook detailing his girlfriend's murder in a handwritten confession. His story, quote-unquote story, was that they had crossed a creek which caused some type of accident with Gabby. She ends up with a knot on her head and some other painful injuries while they were going back to the van. They continue to trek on, and as they get farther along, he claims she was begging him to put her out of her misery, and he obliged. This is really, really a stretch. Even if she was injured, hurt significantly, I can't think of any instance where it was so severe that she willingly participated in someone else taking her life. That is, that is quite the stretch, and there was no other signs that were reported that she was seriously injured other than the strangulation. There might be other things on that autopsy that we have not seen, but that is the cause of death listed. He would pick up his story and the confession apart for days, but, I mean, I will spare you guys. Following the discovery and the contemplating all other evidence, the FBI deemed this case a murder-suicide, and it was closed officially January 21st of this year, 2022. This case captivated the nation, and everyone could see Gabby's online life, though she had it all in a box of chocolates social media is rarely the reality. It showed an adorable couple living their best life and having fun in their youth, traveling, practicing yoga, being their own boss, and taking life by the horns. And it was a picture-perfect situation from the outside. But it seems that it was peppered with a lot of heartbreak, a lot of mental health struggles, and ultimately cost both of them their lives. But this story isn't over. Gabby's family believe that the Laundries know more than they are willing to say about the disappearance and the death of their daughter, and they want answers. They are hurting and they are outraged at what they had to endure, and they are rightfully so. Joseph Petito and Nicole Schmidt filed a lawsuit in March of this year for $30,000 against Christopher and Roberta Laundry accusing the Laundries of concealing Gabby's death, helping their son flee, and deceiving their family. I truly believe this is mostly for a discovery purpose, to find out the truth of what the Laundries did and didn't know, and when they knew those things. This is a way of dragging the truth out of the Bryan's family, to see what they knew, when they knew it, and what they were concealing. But... That didn't stop there. 
They went on to sue the Moab, Utah Police Department as well for mishandling a domestic violence call a few weeks prior to Gabby's death. They want to see change and accountability for anyone involved in their daughter's death. Gabby's parents started raising awareness to domestic violence and missing persons immediately and founded the Gabby Petito Foundation to help in their pursuit. I'll be linking it in the show notes so that I can share it with all of you and that you guys can look for yourself. This is a very hard case to watch unfold, but I think it is a story that needs to be told and shared to help others understand and truly daunting reality of where domestic violence can lead. And that wraps up our case for today. Um, It has been really hard to research this case. There is so much information out there that seems to be very misconstrued, twisted, or even misunderstood um, as it went along. There were several things that said Brian was here or Brian was there or he, her body could be anywhere from here to here. And and they they really just stretched the dollar on this one. And a lot of the social media things that I come across, a lot of them weren't founded or they were debunked by police's evidence, and the evidence speaks louder than anyone else's theories. So we follow, we track, we trace, and we count on the evidence to secure the facts. You know, you always read the evidence to tell you what really happened. You rely on and you trust the evidence because the evidence will get you all the way to a guilty plea. It will get you all the way to a court sentence But when you rely on theory and observation alone or a gut instinct, you're going to fail when it comes to that court case. And so that's why I really lean in and read through and follow the evidence. And that's why in this case, we really didn't go over a lot of the theories that are floating out there and a lot of the things that people say they believed happened because the evidence tells us no lie. Um, we are definitely going to be doing some really deep dives in a few cases here soon, and I have another case that I have been combing over that is absolutely heart-wrenching that will be dropping next week. So I hope to meet you guys back here, and that is a wrap for today's case. If you haven't already subscribed to the pod um, wherever you are listening today, go like and subscribe it, and get on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Criminal Conversation to see all the great news coming up our, your way. And I am very excited to invade your earballs once again this week, and I will see you here again for some more true crime. Goodbye!